You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. But we're also to engage that work of justice in matters of, of gender equality, of ability, of age, of sexual orientation, and gender identity and expression, and, and indigenous people's rights too. And there's so many other areas. The call is to work towards a world where everyone has enough. There's no more cause for violence. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 242 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of uh, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and, and transformation. Our title this week is Peace Through Nuclear Threat. Uh, subtitle, A Peace That Puts Jesus and Numerous Others on a Cross. Our feature text is Luke one seventy nine to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Uh, I had a smart mouth as a, a teenager. I was, I was the quintessential little guy with a big mouth, and I had a, a a lot of growing up to do. But what kept me out of of trouble was that I had a, a bigger friend whom nobody in my school wanted to mess with. Most of my school was afraid of of my friend, which ensured me that uh, ensured that no one would 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 no one would mess with me. And and it, it also assured me a certain level of peace uh, from anxiety as I, I walked through my school's halls. And I, I'm not a, a proud of how I abused um, this social insurance in my public junior high school, but I use it this week to illustrate um, what's going on in our global community. I want you to think about our global community for a moment, and at the risk of oversimplification, there are a lot of parallels between junior high and high school and the international climate right now. On, on February 2nd, the Trump administration announced its its nuclear weapons strategy, and it, it comes with a price tag of at least uh, $1.2 trillion for, for upgrading the United States' nuclear weapons arsenal and developing even some new nuclear weapons too. But anti-nuclear advocates, they've stated that this this strategy, that it's radical and that it's extreme, and as, as climate is already breaking down around the globe, this new strategy, uh, this new global arms race that, it'll, that it will set in motion, it's caused even the doomsday clock to be moved up 30 seconds to two minutes uh, to midnight. And I'll, I'll put a, an article, a link to an article in this week's e-site on The Guardian if, if you want to look at that a little further. But whether I'm, I'm thinking back to my, my school's locker-lined hallways or whether I'm thinking about our global community today, there are two paths that human beings usually choose to walk towards peace. And one, I would argue, is not actually a path toward peace, but it's a lull before the the next fight or, or the next war. The other path is rooted in what some refer to as enoughism, and I'll, I'll explain uh, both of these. Jesus lived in a culture where the known world's peace, uh, which was later called the, the Pax Romana or the Roman peace, um, that, that peace was similar to how peace is, is presently attempted in our global community, in a world that's controlled by capitalists whose primary motive is to protect their present and potential future profit 
peace is achieved in the way that I had peace roaming my school's hallways. Either either have the biggest stick yourself or be friends or quote-unquote allies with, with the one who has the biggest stick. And basically it's a be the biggest bully on the top of the hill yourself or at least have the bully as a friend that, that you keep happy, have that bully with you. And in this model, pragmatism takes a higher priority than than people do. Uh, humanity as a whole is considered of, of less value than the fate of an elite few. And we have to let that confront us as Jesus followers. That's, that's the peace of Rome. That's the, 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 the peace that we see being achieved, attempted today. It's a peace that's achieved through fear of violence or fear of being destroyed. And, and, and to make waves in the Roman world, remember, it was to court the possibility that you could end up on a Roman cross. John Sabrino, he refers to this in his evaluation of Jesus as as uh, what uh, um, as a holy troublemaker. To 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 take the words of um, Bernard Rustin, uh, who 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 also Jesus also unmasked injustice. He he made waves in in solidarity with those that were being pushed to the the margins and undersides of his own society. And in John Sabrino's book, Jesus the Liberator, this is from page two hundred one. It says Jesus then suffered persecution. He knew why he was suffering it and where it might lead him. This persecution reveals him as a human being who not only announces hope to the poor and curses their oppressors, but persists in this despite persecution. The final violent death does not come as an arbitrary fate, but as a possibility always kept in mind. In other words, the cross didn't just happen. It was the intrinsic result of the type of work Jesus was engaging. And true to form, like like most people who stand up to the, the system in a way that significantly threatens those in positions of power and privilege, Jesus ended up on a cross. And this is how, how threats are handled on this pathway to this kind of peace. The Pax Romana, the kind of peace that America is attempting to achieve globally, it puts many Jesuses on many crosses all along the way. And ultimately, it produces Hiroshima, it produces Nagasaki. If Jesus' cross does nothing else for us, it should at least unmask the results of this kind of strategy towards peace. The human price tag alone should be enough to awaken opposition to this way of achieving peace in the lives of, of Jesus followers. And, and after all, th- again, this is the same policy that brought Jesus and many more with him to death way before their time, way before they should have died. In the Gospels, we encounter a Jesus who had a different vision for peace than Rome did. Jesus's vision was of of peace instead of through violence or or the threat of destruction. It was peace through distributive justice. It was this vision where no one would have too much while others didn't have enough. It was a a reparative justice. It was a a restorative justice, a a transformative justice. It's what some call, again, enoughism. It's where no one has too much while others don't have enough. Everybody has enough to, to live. And everyone has what they need. And looking at, at his disciples, it says in Luke 6, 20 through 22, uh, through 21, uh, he said, blessed are you who are poor, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Jesus envisioned a world where the poor uh, in spirit were, were given the kingdom. In Matthew 5, 3, we find those two words, in spirit, added. And this doesn't mean, this phrase doesn't mean spiritually poor. Uh, I want to be clear on that. That interpretation has been used uh, too often to, to circumvent Jesus' call for us to stand in solidarity with those who are materially poor. It, 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 it's also not a call to become poor in spirit. Some people think that I need to become poor in spirit. And in Luke, we're told that Jesus, even as a child, was not poor in spirit, but Luke 180 says he was strong in spirit. So, so what does Jesus mean in Matthew by, by poor in spirit? Well, I think we get a clue just two verses later in Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In our present world, the meek are not given the earth. Uh, the meek are the ones that are, are, are walked on, they're walked over, they're, they're the ones that are bullied. And Jesus calls us to create another kind of world, one where even the meek, the most vulnerable among us, are, are taken care of, and they're ensured a, a safe world to call their home as well. And this is what Jesus means by poor in spirit. Today, our world belongs to, to those who have a fighting, competitive spirit, a drive to succeed. Um, but, but, but some have had their spirit so broken that they they simply don't have any spirit left to try and Jesus calls us to create a world where those whose spirits have been broken and, and who don't have anything left to give they're taken care of too uh, it it goes on blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and and for these people this new world will will bring a reparative restorative transformative comfort um, it's a world. It's, it's Jesus's vision called us to to believe that a new world, a different world, another world, uh, was possible. In verse six of of Matthew five, Jesus speaks of the same demographic when he states, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled." the The word righteousness is not. It's not personal. It's not private. It's not a, a meritorious credit that admits them into some postmortem bliss. It's about righteousness here and now. The Hebrew concept of righteousness, it included a distributive justice and a societal justice. It's those who hunger for the world to be put right. They will be filled. Those who hunger for rightness, they will be filled. So, so this again, this is a vision Jesus had for those whose spirits were were so broken. They didn't have the spirit to keep fighting. They were those who were mourning as a result of the, the present structure and, and what it cost them uh, at the, the benefit of a few elite. It, it was those who were, uh, the, the society Jesus had meant, envisioned would be a, 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 a blessing to, to those who, who were hungry, to those who, who hungered for righteousness, um, for, for justice. And, and that leads me to the differences between the Pax Romana, uh, or, or the kind of global peace that America is seeking today, and, and the peace that's the, the fruit of, a, of the world that Jesus envisioned. The, the peace in the Gospels, it's not a peace uh, because the biggest bully with the biggest stick is sitting on the top of the heap telling everyone to, to 
to sit down and shut up. The peace that we find in the Gospels is a peace that is the intrinsic fruit of a world that's shaped by the values of distributive justice, where everyone once again has enough. And two relevant statements from Borg and Crossan in their book, The The First Christmas, they write, this is on page 65 and 166, they, they write, for Augustus and for Rome, it was not always about peace, but always about peace through victory, peace through war peace through violence. The terrible truth in our world is that we have never established peace through victory. Victory establishes not peace, but lull. And thereafter, violence returns once again and always worse than before. And it's that escalator violence that endangers our world. And it was the same violent path toward peace that in the end, remember, put Jesus on a Roman cross. As Sabrina once again rightly states, um, it's also the source of other violences, all other violences. And page 215, again, Jesus the Liberator, Sabrina writes, first, Jesus's practice and teaching demand absolutely the unmasking of and a resolute struggle against the form of violence that is the worst and most generative of others. In other words, it produces other types of violence because it it is the most inhuman and the historical principle at the origin of all dehumanization. Structural injustice is the form of institutionalized violence. It follows that we have to unmask the frequent attitude of being scandalized at revolutionary violence and the victims it produces without having been scandalized first and more deeply at its causes. Again, there are two paths towards peace, and and we can work on bigger, more technologically advanced bombs or we can work towards reparations. We can work towards restoration. We can work towards redistribution that considers not only what's just for us, but also what's just for those that, that we share this world with and, and who are also the most vulnerable among us. Thomas Merton, in his book, Peace in the Post-Christian Era, page 133, he writes, It's crucially important for Christians today to adopt a genuinely Christian posture position and to support it with everything they have got. This means an unremitting fight for justice in every sphere, in labor, in race relations, in the quote-unquote third world, and above all, in international affairs. And, and I would add that there's there are more spheres than just the ones that are mentioned by, by Merton here. Um, yeah, we're to engage in, in the work of justice alongside those who are working in matters of, of labor um, or, or race or the developing world, but we're also to engage that work of justice in matters of of gender equality, of ability, of age, of sexual orientation and gender identity and expression and, and indigenous people's rights too. And there's so many other areas. The call is to work towards a world where everyone has enough. There's no more cause for violence. And, and we have an important choice to make, especially as Jesus followers, but primarily just because we're human beings. Uh, either we're going to choose to allow anxiety and, and a frenzied desperation to lead us down a path of, of mass destruction that we wrongly think will create peace, or, or, or we can choose to be fiercely loyal to our fellow human siblings, seeing ourselves in their eyes, 
seeing ourselves in their struggle towards distributive justice. We can choose the beautiful but difficult task of, of building a world that will eventually thrive through compassion, through safety, through justice and, and peace. And this is the path of peace that the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus that we find there, this is the path of peace that they call us to. Luke one seventy nine to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Heart group application this week. In the book that I mentioned above by Borg and Crossan, um, they remind us that that each path towards peace requires something of us. Each requires, uh, they say, programs and processes to strategies and, and tactics, wisdom and patience. On page 75, they continue, if you consider that peace through victory has been highly su- a highly successful vision across recorded history, why would you abandon it now? But whether you think it has been successful or not, you should at least know there has always been present an alternative option, peace through justice. And what does peace through justice look like, rather than peace through having the biggest nuclear bomb? What does peace through justice look like? What are some of the programs? What are the processes, the strategies, the the tactics and wisdom and patience that this alternative uh, path towards peace involves? Both paths have their challenges. What I want you to do this week in your heart group is discuss with your group and, and, uh, what these differences are and, 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 and see what you can come up with. What, again, what, what does the path of peace through justice look like? And then find a, a way in your community that your heart group can engage the work of distributive justice and, and know that as you do so, you are working towards peace. As the saying goes, if you want peace, work for justice. Another world, remember, is possible. Keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Thanks for checking in with us this week. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.